How you guys doing? Oh, that was the best we've had. Man. Um, well, welcome to the Remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. And I'm really excited to be here today. It's a nice day. It's sunny. We're continuing to come out of the winter hibernation. Some of you are smiling. Some of you looking at me aren't. But that's okay. Um, I'm just excited. It's a good, it's a, I'm not going to say a good day. So I have a little weird thing. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. But I have these ticks. And I'm telling you, every time I say today is a good day, every time something terrible happens. The last time I said that it was a good day, if anyone was at basketball, it was the day I got shot in the back pretty much. You remember that, that day? I was like, what a great service. And I couldn't walk for two weeks. So it was terrible. So I'm just going to say, hey, here's the day. <laughs> so... When I, you guys get to interact with me during this part, and some of you that chat a lot, this is like your one chance, you know, Hannah, you like to giggle, it's your one chance to, to uh, say something. So, when I say the word, the name Jesus, what comes to your mind? Love? Yeah. Savior. What? Father? Redeemer? Friend? King. Let's go. What else? Perfect? Brother, yeah, what else? Peace, yeah, those are all good things. How about man? Right? No, Jesus, I set that up wrong. Jesus, for me, a word that, that we, we need to think about is man. Right? And I think what you said is awesome because he thought I was saying, what's man? He said sinful. You're right. But Jesus was both fully God and fully man. But here's the truth. We don't talk the fully man part. We don't. What does it mean? That, that's just the part where, if, let's be real, we, we ignore that. We say it because you're taught that in theology class, in Christianity, he was fully God and fully man. But really, how often do you think about the fact that he was fully man? Right? Yeah, not often. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to fathom. You guys said all the words I think of, king and God and perfect Right? All of these things that I think the same thing when I think of Jesus. And the problem is we kind of have this like, I don't really, I'll speak for me because you guys get upset when I speak for you. But I don't really think, I don't live like he was fully man. Right? Because the truth is we tend to have this picture of him where he's kind of glowing gold. Remember those old pictures where he's got like a, just a little energy beam like he's Goku charging up, right? And he's floating along the ground in our minds. And like even though he's there, he's the only clean one. And everyone else is like monsters. And he's like, hello. And he never gets flustered. And his, you know, his perfect auburn hair is flowing in the wind. You know, all, and his, somehow his beard stays perfectly trimmed, right, in those pictures. That's what we think. And I, and, I, and I make a joke, but honestly, myself, when I think about it, he's above insecurity and worry, and he's sort of, when he's with us or with, the, with humanity, he's kind of just slumming with the masses. You ever heard of that phrase? He's just slumming. <clears throat> he can't understand brokenness, loneliness, fear, sadness, the battle with sin, right? <gasps> I messed some of your head. Did you, did you know that? Sin. He, he, he who had no sin became sin, right? Doesn't mean that sin wasn't around him. Doesn't mean he wasn't tempted. 
Now you say that because you know the story. He was led into the desert and tempted for 40 days. But again, he wasn't really tempted. He was just like chilling, being like, you know, eating chips and kept telling the devil to get away, right? That isn't what happened. You see, for the devil to tempt him in that moment, it had to be a temptation, right? The devil's not omniscient. He's not everywhere all the time, but he's very powerful, right? He, he's been around thousands of years, He watched Jesus from the moment of his birth. You don't think he took notice? Of course he did. Why do you think they were trying to kill all the children in Israel? He knew something was coming. Now, he got it wrong on how he was going to bring a kingdom, but the point is is that I believe it. We know it. Kept tabs on him. Stay with me. You don't think he knew the things that would tempt him most based on his life? Think about that for a second. Those weren't just... He's standing for the temptations of mankind. No, those were aimed at him. But we don't think that. He can't really get sin and loneliness and grief and despair and anger. (gasps) Yeah. He doesn't really understand what he's asking us to do. It's easy to cast stones when it's the sins the whole world says. What about your pride? What about your arrogance? What about your hate? Your greed? So for me, when I think of that, and you all, most of you help me out, right? I mean, you, you, I tricked you, kind of, but we all think the same thing. We didn't, nobody said, I think he's a man. Somebody said brother, that was the closest, but even then, he's the perfect brother, and we're just the hobos that follow him, right? Which is true. <laughs> but then there are sections like this. I, I, I think that, and this, this changed my life, and you've heard it, but let yourself hear this. Get rid of your preconceived notion of glowing Goku you know, Jesus. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Now Jesus had just finished the Last Supper. He's with his friends. I, I assume they've eaten by now. He said some things. He's chilling with them. And the mood changes. Because a lot of what he says is good in the Last Supper, right? I mean, they don't get it. They think they're about to celebrate this, this big war. And he says this. And Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will run away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd... And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Pause. So I want you to picture you're at dinner with your best friends. And you're, and you're the, the guest of honor. Maybe you're going to a wedding. You're, you're on your, your bachelor. What is that called? I don't even know anymore. I'm having those blank moments when they go and celebrate as guys. Bachelor party. I was close. Uh, so the bachelor party, and all of a sudden you guys are relaxing. You've had a nice toast. And then the groom just looks at you and says... Tonight, all of you are going to run away from me. Right? You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're going to leave me. When I read this, and when you read it like a person, instead of glowing Goku Jesus, there's hurt here. Why else would he say it? Do you think he's teaching a lesson here? Yeah, he's letting us know he knows the future, but there's something else in that. You know, sometimes he's just a person. We see that very clearly towards the end of the Gospels. So then it goes, if you go down to 36, chapter thir- or verse 36, I'm sorry, it said, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Again, I already know you because you're Christians and we just do this. This is what we do. 
You, know, you, you, you read it like this. My soul is swallowed to the point of sorrow. Walk with me, mortals. Right? Like, that's not what's happening here. He is depressed. He is scared. He is frightened. He is lonely. And he does what we do. He calls his best friends up and says, will you come and sit with me? Will you just sit here? Just Have you ever wanted someone to just be in the room? Sometimes I sleep better when there's people in the room. I don't know if about you guys. Maybe I'm a weirdo. But it's just nice. It's somehow there's comfort when there's people around. And he wanted people around for that reason. My soul is swallowed up in sorrow. Because we don't talk like that, we don't understand that. My soul is, I am so depressed that I feel like I'm dying. Please stay awake with me, please. I'm scared. Would that change it? Go ahead. Going a little farther, he fell face down. All the way, face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. <laughs> my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You ready to hear what the, he didn't want to do this. I'm going to say this to you again. He didn't want to die for us. Oh, that's blasphemy. No, no. The, he didn't want to go through a terrible, horrible, painful death for you. He didn't want to do that. He didn't have to do that. How do I know that? Well, we find out later. I'm not going to read it, right? They come, and Peter does some ear chopping, and he looks at him and says, don't you understand if I wanted this to end, I could call down angels right now, and it's over. What makes him different is that last sentence, yet not as I will, but as you will. Well, if he's saying, I want to do what you want me to do, Father, he's our big brother modeling. There's an implication. I, not what I want. What does he want? He doesn't want to die. Who wants to be crucified, beaten, mocked, spit on, laughed at, giggled at? By the way, we still do it. Every time you come to church and you're talking, you giggle and you laugh and you can't even pay attention. What are you really doing? You're falling asleep while he's praying. Go ahead and go to verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> he asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? One hour. Stay awake and pray this so you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. What's the implication? If there is another way, please, if there's any way. Now, here's the heart of Jesus. Though he didn't want to die for us, for you, he wanted you to not die more than he wanted to live. Do you hear me? He didn't, he, want, he didn't want to die, but he loved you more than his own life. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They could not pay attention. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? I don't think it was anger. It's like, you're still sleeping. Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. I don't think it was what you think. See, my betrayers here. I think he said, get up. Let's go. He's here. 
my betrayer's here. My friend. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. All right? always the implication is it was the disciples, and I think there's something there, but he was saying, I, I, I want to, but I don't. The humility to ask them to pray for him. Right? We're so spoiled. We are more spoiled than they were. You arrogant people, does that make you mad? You have the audacity to reject him, to take him on your terms. Man. Me too. That's not the point of this. So he goes three times, comes back. I've done this before. When I was really depressed, I used to make my friend. First of all, this is not, I don't sleep well anyway. Okay, anybody that's close to me knows I do not sleep well. I don't, P.S., this is apparently a public service announcement because I've been told that you guys look at my example and somehow sleeplessness, sleeplessness gets glorified. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I am not bragging. I, I want to sleep, okay? Anyway, I don't sleep well. When I, when I was really depressed, I told some of that story last week, I didn't sleep at all. Like, you know, there's people that, who here sleeps more when you're depressed or down? Some people do that. Yeah. Who here can't sleep when you're down? That's me. Yeah. It's about like 50-50, right? It just depends on your personality. I can't sleep. So I used to have friends over because you want to be surrounded by sound. And I would literally, I remember some of my friends. Jack was probably one of them. Uh, and they would stay up with me, you know, and then I'd kind of pass out for a minute. And then anyone that knows me, they'd get up to, like, oh, finally I get to go to bed. And they'd move and i go, what are you doing, man? We're going to watch some TV? Because I didn't want to be alone. It didn't even matter what was happening. The fact that they're awake, I, wanted to, I, I didn't want to be alone. Do you understand how human this is? What Jesus did is not made amazing because he was God. What Jesus did is made more amazing because he was man. This section to me... You know, I set this up. By the way, this ain't even the section we're focused on. But I want to make a point here. I'm like you. God, king, perfect. Oh, oh, cast demons out. Awesome. And I remember the first time I really let myself read this without him being Goku Jesus. Right? And I, I cried. Right? He, he's, this is so heartbreaking, heartbreaking and raw and real when you really read it as a person. Some of your guys' faith is pretty dead. You're, you're probably saved, but you don't get anything out of the Bible because you read it like it's an instruction manual instead of reality. We can understand this feeling, right? I mean, I just told you, you all can. Being asked to do something we don't want to, but knowing it's the right thing. You ever been there? Sometimes it's giving up something you know is the wrong thing, and that is being the right thing, and that temptation and that frustration of saying, I don't really, this is what I say when people come up to me with an addiction. If, you, if you're close, if I've said this to you, I'm sure I said, do you even really want to quit? I don't say it judgmentally. Do you even really want to quit? Because the truth is, until you're to the point you even desire to, because we lie to ourselves, of course I do. No. There's a difference between thinking you should and wanting to. Same with arrogance and pride and everything else. Do you want to? Being asked to do something you don't want to, but knowing it's the right thing, that's me all the time. All the time. (laughs) 
I cannot tell you how often that is the case for me. People are mean. People, listen, some of y'all in this room are mean. I love you. God bless you, but you're mean. And I feel like this is not okay. So this is not me bragging again. My mom used to tell me this all the time. I got in trouble. She's like, it's going to sound positive. She didn't mean it that way. She goes, you can't save the world. You can't save the world. Because I have a thing where I'm kind of Saul the Avenger. Not Paul. I got a little Saul the Avenger in me, pre-Paul. So when you all mean, I want to be like, oh, you, you mean. I'm going to show you mean. You want to hurt their feelings, especially mean girls. I'm a mean girl slayer. That's what I do. Count on. Hey, that's, I've been that way since high school. You're a mean girl. I will slay you. That's the way I used to approach it. I could tell you a story. I don't, you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. This, isn't, this is terrible. You want to know, th- okay, pause. Before I tell this story, understand, I'm going to kind of giggle because of the thought of it, but I really legitimately get convicted about this to this day. This was pre-Jesus. Freshman year, little Todd. He's not so little, but I was chubby. Point is, I go to the high school varsity game. Anyone do that as freshmen? Hang out with your friends. So I roll in. I'm sitting down. And this is like when Todd is slowly transitioning. Because, like, I was not popular. I've told you that story. No money, all that stuff. And this freshman year, like, you know, high school football, he don't, give, he don't care who your name is if he's a good coach. <clears throat> and so he didn't care. And I was good. And then things started changing. So I'm over here sitting. I find myself sitting with the cool kids. I can remember this clear as day. So I'm sitting here. And there's a bunch of cheerleaders behind me. And I'm not going to, I'll say her name's Mary, for lack of, that's not her name. Mary looks down and begins to mock me for various reasons. Every time I talk, kind of doing that eye roll thing, you know, and like giggling with her friends and pointing to me. And then she says, "Um, what did she say? Why don't you leave? What are you even here for? Right? And I looked back at her and I said, that's cool, Mary. Why don't you shave that mustache of yours? (laughs) Yeah, I know. See, it sounded funny until I said it. Um, and, like, I won. She started crying. All the girls, P.S., did not make me more popular with the girls. Uh, <laughs> plead opposite, because then I became mean, mean guy Todd. The point is, I've always had that in me. Um, by the way, we became friends. Everything's good, and that was pre-Jesus. That's what I tell myself. But I really get sad about this, so I'm not glorifying it. But the, my point is, I have that in me. And I have to fight that sometimes. And I justify it, right, by like, well, you are bullying them or you're making someone feel small. So God has clearly anointed me to be the one to make you small, right, which is not not biblical at all. But, you know, I have to eat that sometimes. And not just eat it in a, like, my, it's my heart's the issue, right? I got to get to the point, and I've had to battle my heart. Like, no, I don't run around telling girls to share their mustaches, but... It doesn't mean my heart doesn't have stuff in it sometimes that I got to get a hold of. And I don't want to sometimes because sometimes you do deserve it. (laughs) And that's that thin line there. And honestly, it's usually when I see you be mean to other people. You know, P.S., if you're a believer, stop being mean to anybody. Just stop. You know, it's silly. Everybody can justify their behavior anytime. I have done some terrible things. I do not deserve you to be kind to me. But goodness gracious, don't go out of your way to be mean to self-protect. That's what a lot of you do. You're really, really insecure, low self-esteem people. That's the truth. I'm not tearing you down. And you've learned to adapt by shredding everybody that comes near you. That's not good, and it doesn't help you. Remember me and the stash thing with the girls? That's you. People aren't going to like you because they think you're mean. Anyway, this has nothing to do with any of this other than to say we're all called to do those things. We're called to do things we don't want to do. We're called not to do things we want to do. We know what it is to wrestle in that, and so did Jesus. 
but Jesus is God. But this feels so human, right? If he knew what was going to happen, why is he sad? Zeke, it doesn't make any sense. Because he was fully human, right? The Bible talks about this. He gave up, I'm going to paraphrase, he gave up his status to put on this for us. Jesus is God, but he's human. What do we do with this? What does it matter that Jesus feels the things you feel? What would it change? Everybody in the room, I don't care if you're a believer or you're not a believer. If you're in the room, God is above, God doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. If he did, what would it mean to you if God experienced temptation, understood your feelings, had the same feelings and thoughts, and yet didn't give in to them? If you have your Bible, why does that matter? What would it mean to let ourselves think of the fully man part of the equation? Because there is something for us in that. And actually, believe it or not, I think it's pretty encouraging. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 is where I'm going to be. When you got it, say, I got it. No one. Remember that? Remember when I used to do that all the time? Thank you. Yeah. I love the challenge that I've given people to bring their like, physical Bibles, but it's really slowed things up for you guys. So I feel that. Um, but I stand by it. Hebrews 4, 13 through 16. You can just follow along. I'm reading from the HCSB. It doesn't really matter what you're reading from. No creature is hidden from him, capital H. Who is that? God. Who is Jesus? God, yeah. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Pause. I don't... Stay with me, right? No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's a terrifying verse if you don't just read it as like, oh, oh." every time it's just you and your spouse and you're having that ugly, ugly fight. Every time that you've turned the lights off and turned that computer on. Every time that you've laid with someone who wasn't who you were married to or you are married to, every time that you took that extra thing that wasn't yours, every time you had that heart issue where you enjoyed someone hurting, every time where you bold-faced lied, every time you justified those behaviors, every dark and ugly deed he sees. You cannot hide. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Who is he? He is our high priest. Remember, back then, the high priest went, was our uh, representative to God. To the, well, Jesus is that now. Let us hold fast to the confession. Go ahead. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way yet without sin, tested in every way, every way, not lust, not anger. Not for, see, the fact that some of you goes, did Todd just say Jesus and lust are the same thing? Well, he's, he's blasphemous. No, I mean, it says this. doesn't mean, we, we're going to separate what tested means <laughs> versus sinned. One is outside of your control, one isn't. Therefore, and this is, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. 
unable, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tested in every way yet without sin. What does this tell us? Listen, Jesus was tested with sin. He was tested to see if he would sin. We know it, right? Do you think the only time in his life he faced temptation was the 40 days in the desert? No. No. He was angry. That's in the Bible. He was angry, and yet his anger wasn't evil. He wept and felt sadness for other people. He had a friend die, and it said he wept. Lazarus, he wept. That's because that was his friend. You know, some people say, oh, and I think death too, but that's his friend. He was overwhelmed and needed to be alone. How many times did it see? He taught, and then he went and had to be away for a while. Was he anxious sometimes? His body, not in his mind. You know, he trusted, but that, that feeling we get when we're around too many people for too long, right? When we're humming, why'd he go away? He felt frustration. How long do I have to put up with you people? He would say that. That's frustration, right? He was hurt. He was scared. He faced certain death. You know, sometimes people, we know people closer, maybe you, I hope not, but you're facing a disease that's mortal or it's, it's going to kill you or they say it is, and, and yet you say, how can he understand that? Well, he had a death sentence he knew was coming. You don't think that, you know, we do that too, right? When something scary is coming, we're like, oh, my goodness, it's like two days. <laughs> two days. I do. I'm obsessive. I'm like, oh, man, I can't sleep. And yet he still loved people. What does this mean for us? Listen, what this means for us is found in the last sentence. Stay with me. I know you're bored. I should, like, do cool things. You know how you'd pay attention if I squirted you with squirt guns and told you that you were awesome and never talked about sin, repentance, um, or bad things? You'd pay attention. You would, right? There's people on TV that do that, Tim. I'm telling you, man, we can make a lot of money if we just start telling them what they want to hear. I know. Uh, What does this mean for us? Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. It starts kind of like, this section starts kind of weird, you know? It's like, okay, yeah, we get it. He, hold fast confession. Why? Life's tough. Things are going to be hard, but you, I know that you're called to do things that are hard. You're called to love your enemies. That doesn't make sense. You're called to not give in to things that other people seem to be having fun doing. Whoever told you that sin wasn't fun? That's not true. Of course it is in the short term. And yet you see your friends sometimes doing the things that you don't get to do and succeeding. They have the money and they have the house and they have the cars and they have the spouse and they have all of those things and so you think well he hasn't shown up yet he must not be why don't I go get that you're only seeing what they show you and we talked about this last week the unseen you are the things listen to me these things you put time in aren't going to last they're not it doesn't mean that it's it's not it's wrong to be successful or have a nice car no enjoy life you are free That's not life. If it was, rich people wouldn't commit suicide. Famous people wouldn't OD on pills. And some of you wouldn't be sitting in this room if it was all about success. But, one who's tested every way yet without sin, 
And then this is, I love this. He says, listen, I know life's hard. I know it's tough. I know you're called to do the right thing. I know they were being persecuted. I know you're persecuted. I know you're outcast. I know all these things. I know you've lost for Jesus. We talked about this last week. Bottom line is so was Jesus. So was your high priest. And here's the thing. Because he can sympathize with you, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be scared to go to him. Because listen, just because he overcame that sin and didn't make the mistake doesn't mean he doesn't understand how easy it would be to do so. Do you understand that? That's a big deal. I hope you heard that. It's kind of a deep thought, but it's very important. The fact that he was tested with the same things we are and felt the same things we do means he knows how hard life is. So do you think that he's looking at you disappointed? He knows how hard it is. You think that he doesn't want you to come to him when, you, when you've sinned, that he doesn't want you to come to him with the small things like your anxiety or your worry or your, your stress? Of course not, because he knows what it is to live in that. He just doesn't get it. He was never bullied. Yes, he was. He was killed. We approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Because he knows how hard it is and he understands. That's so crucial. God doesn't look at you when you've put your faith in Christ as a failure. He doesn't look at you like, oh, you're disgusting. How could you ever do that? Even though the world says, hey, you do these certain things, I'm done with you. I just had this talk with a guy yesterday, all right, a guy that is incarcerated. And the truth is, he said, you know, he's lost everything. You know, and he said, I've lost everything. And, and I said, you know, man, he goes, but I'm excited in a weird way. And I said, God's in the business of renewing things. Right? When the world says it's over, he says, watch this. That's what it means when, you know, Paul talks about this. His power is made perfect in my weakness. The people that, I've told you this several weeks ago, I'm a terrible guy. I really am. I'm not a great person. I've done terrible things. But the fact that I get to still talk about Jesus, the fact that that he has let me and, and given me grace does not glorify me. It glorifies him. Because if me, the worst of these, then you people who are good people, you have hope. Sometimes I feel like that gets in the way. You know, I, I talked to another friend who's and uh, recently, and uh, she kind of said, you know, I, God's got bigger things to do, more important things to do sometimes, right? I don't want to go to him with that. And, and by the way, m- I have heard multiple people say that. So beyond the fact that I kind of teased her and said, well, you believe in God, he's God of the universe, he created things, he probably can handle more than one thing on his plate, right? But that feeling is real, How could he care about this small thing? How could he care about the mother who's up at night overwhelmed, right? The single mom who's cleaning up the mess for the 10th time. He can't understand that. He can't understand that kind of loneliness. He can't understand denying himself what he wants. He can't understand depression or brokenness or addiction or disease. Or he can't, you know, he doesn't have love for someone who's addicted to something. He's not, he doesn't love someone that the world hates. But part of the reason he does is because he understands the human condition. There is no perfect people. There's no perfect Christian. In fact, if you are a Christian, there's an admission that you're not perfect or you're on the wrong team. He knows. 
So what does he know? I got a list for you still. I know you love your list. What does he know? He knows this. From just this section, he knows how powerful temptation is. He understands. Now let, let that sink in. I, I feel like either I'm dumb or I do not do an adequate job of explaining things that to me are pretty deep. Because this, this, this affects me. If he understands how hard it is to not eat that piece of pie when you're on a diet. Okay, if he doesn't understand how hard it is, then of course we're going to feel shame that we gave in. Because he's like, I could do it. Why can't you? You ever been with someone like that? Right? They do everything perfect. And they're like, I don't understand why you can't do this. Used to be me in gym class. I'm running with my friend. You know, I'm trying to get a six-minute mile to get an A. And he's just like, and I'm going, I never got it. Right? I'm looking at him going, he's like, well, I don't understand the problem. You know, he's talking and I'm struggling to, to be conscious. It's the same thing. If we let ourselves think that way, then we view that every time we mess up or give in to that pie or that sin or that temptation that he's looking at, it's going, that's so pathetic. I don't think that's the case. He is sympathetic because he knows how hard it is when you're on a diet and you've gone three weeks and somebody puts a piece of your favorite pie there to not eat that. He understands that. That's where the fully God part comes in because he in his perfection knows how hard that is. He has sympathy for you. We know this because we see it with our kids. If you see a kid who's trying to ride a bike, it's very simple to you, isn't it? I hope some of you. Some of you giggled already, right? Those of you that can ride a bike, it's pretty easy. Can you imagine then, you take your kid out. Who here, who here taught their kid how to ride a bike at some point? Great. You take your kid out. They, they ride two steps, fall down, skid their knee, and you go, that is so pathetic. How do you, let me show you how to do it. You ride a, can't you just do this, right? Or maybe they're like taking their first steps, and they're like, everybody's clapping. And you're like, really? I can literally run to the other side of the room. You can't even take two steps. Yeah, right? That's, 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 why would that be ridiculous? Because we understand that based on where they're at, that that step, those first two baby steps, take a ton of effort, right? It's scary and it takes, it's tiring for them because they aren't ready for it yet. Well, God is the same way with you and your struggles. He doesn't look at you as the perfected thing. He sees it. He understands that each step you make is a big deal. Man, I gave into that I ate that piece of pie. Yeah, but you lasted three weeks. That's awesome. I can't wait to see how you do how long you go this time. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, you aren't viewed as a slave. You're not viewed as someone who's got to earn anything anymore. You are his child, which means that though he is what? If you're not with him, if you've not put your faith in Christ, I don't care if you're a good person, you are his enemy. He doesn't want you to be, but you are. You get treated differently than children. Sorry. But when you're his children, we don't do that to kids. We, as sinful people, know that it's ridiculous to scream at a, I don't know how old are kids when they start walking. I don't even know. One year. Well, my mom says I walked six months. Whatever. Um, see? Walking, right? While I, at six months, was walking around fast and you were falling, it was, I'm just kidding. Anyway, the point is that that would be ridiculous, to, to treat that one-year-old as though he were you versus if Jason here, and I'm like, walk there, and he's like, look at me, goo-goo, and he walks and falls because he's late. I'm going to go, get up, right? But he looks at us as, a, as a, we are as children to the Father. So he understands, which means there's sympathy. Number two, your, he knows your darkest sin. He knows your darkest sin. 
He knows your darkest sin. Listen, why does that matter? That's, first off, it should make you scared. I have had times in my wild youth when I was about to do something crazy. Cray-cray, as the kids say. Right? And in that exact moment, I'm not even kidding you, I all of a sudden, if you, ever, if you experience this, you can raise your hand after I said it. I had the experience of the father literally looking at me, and I go, yeah, you're right. right? Whatever that thing was. Now that person, I got to go. Whatever it is, those moments, he knows your darkest sin. And here, that is both sobering, but it's also freeing because you don't have to hide. I was talking to some people today as I was talking about this message, and I, and I, I love this section of Genesis. You know, we sin, we have shame. It says they were shamed, they hid themselves. God shows up, and he says, where are you? Why does he say that? Again, you already know if you've been here a long time. That's not for him. He clearly knows. Why is he doing that? I'll tell you why he's doing it. It's found in this sentence that he says later, who told you you were naked? Who told you to be ashamed? Who told you to hide from me? It was for them to understand that even in that moment, there wasn't, I'm going to kill you. There was, Where's my, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? It's the same thing. Yeah, Todd. I was there and I saw it, so it's okay. Come here. Let's talk about it. What's the plan for next time? Let's clean up and let's move on. There is no condemnation in Christ. Man, we try to play games with that, period. In Christ, as his child, you are never condemned, which means it is as a loving father. Yeah, I'm sure there are times he's like, I told you. I don't even think that not to do that. Come here. Because we already know, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We know when we mess up. So he knows your darkest sin. You don't need to hide. Let go of that feeling because I guarantee you, you try to hide. A lot of times the temptation is to hide by like thinking about other things. You mess up. You're like, I'm going to go distract myself or I'm going to go watch, binge watch something. No, why don't you stop and go to the Father because he already sees you. Number three, this is big. Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything he didn't do. Right? He's never a hypocrite. If he told you, don't do this, love your enemy, he loved his enemy. How do I know? Because he loves me. He loved me when I was still his enemy. He doesn't ask you to do anything he didn't do. Let that sink in for a second. You're not, a lot, you're not over here like following some other set of laws that he didn't hold for himself. He said, no, do this, and I'm going to show you how, which leads us to number four. He knows that you have the same power to overcome as he did. So he didn't ask you to do anything he didn't do, which means he has empowered you to do what he did. Make sense? That's why the Bible says, paraphrasing, hey, anytime you're in temptation, he's given you a way out. And honestly, at first you're kind of like, no, there isn't. But when you really look back and think at it, there's those moments, right? Even the very moment where you're going, should I do this, is the moment to get out. You have the same power. Well, what if my family doesn't want me to do the right thing? Here in the old Midwest, I think in California it might be different. Here in the Midwest, we have a big old fat idol called family. I'm serious. I already gonna get make, I love making you mad about this because I just I got fired up about it. You think that your oh, your glorious family means you can do, see that English there? You get to do whatever you want to anybody, and you can always say, just my family. Right? You'd be the one driving by the, the person in the parable of the Good Samaritan on the road and going, can't stop, got a family reunion. 
That's what it is. That's you. Stop saying that Todd says hate your family. No, I'm saying in comparison to God, hate your family. If it had to be a comparison, of course he's not going to tell you to do something. He's not going to contradict himself. He said those who don't take care of their family are worse than unbelievers. Clearly you're supposed to take care of your family. But taking care of your family over doing what God's told you to do, taking care of your family, because really, taking care of your family is constantly missing church. Taking care of your family is showing a bad example of uh, kindness and, and servanthood. Yeah, that's, that's taking care of your family. I can't, and, and it's not aimed at anyone in this room. A lot of times it's people that aren't here anymore because they had, they just got so mad that Jesus, not Todd, honestly, Todd, remember the other guy I told you who's kind of Saul the Avenger? He says, get out. You make my life easier. But I shouldn't say that, so take it back. I didn't say that, right? He's, he, you have the same power to overcome. I always pick the ones that, because you're all like, you're right, lust. That's the one we always go to. I can overcome lust. What about your pride or your ego? or your self-righteousness, or the fact that you can't pay attention for two seconds, right? All those kinds of things. They have the same power to overcome. Number five, he knows your darkest sin and addictions. Right? So that kind of goes back up to your darkest sin, but he knows your addictions, right? He knows the things that we try to hide um, that aren't necessarily things we've done, but things we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we're like, well, because I haven't beat this. There's so many times. I remember one of my closest family members when I was telling them about Jesus. They said, I'll do, you know, I believe you, but i got to clean my life up first. Number six, he knows loneliness, despair, anger, heartbreak, and he still cares. Some of you guys have gone through such a tough year. I'm telling you. I mean, I think about you probably. Some of you have gone through a tough year. Some of you are going through a tough thing right now. I honestly mean this. Some of you, your, te- your biggest testimony to me is that you smile at me and say hi because I know what you've went through. The fact that you can even do that is a testimony. Sometimes we think that God doesn't understand that, that he doesn't care about that, but he does. And that's something that encourages me to know that like, when I have self-doubt, he cares. He had self-doubt a little bit. You know how I know that? Why did the enemy keep saying, if you are who you say you are, if you are the son of God? Remember I told you, he knew what would strike at his heart. So number seven, he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. That helps me. How does he know what's best for you? Because he lived this life, so he knows that the things he tells us to do is best for us. So you're going to come play some music. And I want you to, first of all, be encouraged by a lot. But also, you know, there's a challenge here. You don't have an excuse. See, the other side of God being, Jesus being fully human is like, you don't have an excuse. Because we try to think that, right? Well, clearly I can't be like Jesus. Then he lied. If you actually believe that's not possible, then you don't really believe this. And honestly, why are you wasting your time? He does know. He knows what's best for us. He understands what you're going through. Even now today, he knows your hurts and your worries and your anxieties. He knows those little weird things you do. I brought it up last week because a lot of you are so worried about money. You look at your, your, your bank account 17 times in a day, and then you see anything. You're like, <gasps> you know, He understands that. He's not mad at you that you struggle with faith. Did you know that? 
Sometimes we think he's mad at us because, oh, I don't have enough faith. Some of you are, I don't have enough faith. No, he understands that. Focus not on the seen but the unseen, remember? That's hard to do, isn't it? He knows. So what does that mean for you guys? Do you boldly go to him because you know he can help you, you know he wants to help you, you know he understands that he has sympathy for you, that God cares about your situation? Or do you just play the religion game and you you get scared and if you're like me, you kind of try to hide periodically. Or you do the other thing. Some of you are really good people and you try to like uh, out good deed your sin, right? I'll be really good. I used to think like I would mess up and I'd be like, okay, if I'm good for two weeks, it's going to be gone, right? And it's that cycle. Do Do you honestly find yourself boldly going to him, even if it's the same thing over and over and over again? If not, then you're hiding, you think he doesn't understand. You think he stopped caring. There's a lot of people in here today, and we live in a crazy world. We live in a world where it's way easier to hate Jesus than to follow Jesus. We live in a world where you can slap the name Jesus on anything you want to. I, uh, next week I'll be showing you a video, probably. You know things change around here. But, you know, a guy says, some of you have seen part of it, I preach an affirming theology. You know, when you look up affirming, it means you, everything about you is good, right? That sounds awesome. Don't you want to go to that church? Most of you would. You live in a world where it's like, what is, what does this all mean? And, and how does it make sense? And you're tempted in ways that like, man, I mean, it's, it's modern day Corinth. Just because you don't have temples to Aphrodite or whoever else doesn't mean that we aren't called and given opportunities to follow false gods, False Jesuses even. And so he understands that, the confusion. But we also have no excuse because he also, remember that part, and yet he did not sin. And the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. That's not to shame you. It's to stop acting like you're a, you know, a powerless, I don't know what, <laughs> but you're weak. And you just, have, you just go with, you're, you're an animal. That's what I think sometimes. I'm like, I'm not an animal. You're not an animal. Animals go on instinct. You have choice. You can do the hard things. Bottom line is if you're in this room and, and you don't know Jesus, this is it right here. Maybe my only chance. Here's the gospel made simple. God made everything. Don't debate with me, okay? God made everything and he made it perfect. Okay? And what happened after that is he had one rule. He said, you get to enjoy all of this, but you got to let me be God and you're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is. You accept that and follow me. And we said, nah. And then we were separated from God. And then the first thing is like, why am I being punished for what they did? You still do it. And because that happened, sin, a disease entered inside of you. You have a disease, incurable. I look pretty good. Yeah, you do, but you got sin inside of you. And sin is that thing, that brokenness inside of you that makes you go, why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy? Why is, why is life miserable even though on the outside everything looks perfect? That is sin. It's separation from God. And that shows itself in a variety of symptoms. And the symptoms are evil things. Hate and lying and adultery and murder and war and all of those things. Because without him holding on to us, we spin out of control. We had no way back. The Bible says we're storing up wrath for ourselves. A holy God is also a just God. There will be punishment. You deserve it. And before you say, well, that's not fair. Cool, I want to punch you in the face and take your car and then just say, I'm a good person. 
and you go, okay, go home. You're not going to let me do that. That's not justice. So that's where we're at. That's where you're at today. Well, I'm a good person, and you're not. Even if you're better than me in comparison to God, you're way off mark because the standard is perfection. Are you perfect on your own? If you say yes, you already proved you're not. However, God invaded this earth in the form of a man. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he existed. He did not give you the option of he's a good teacher or a philosopher or the Buddha or Vishnu or Krishna or whoever else you want to say. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one will come to the Father except through me. So how do we do that? He showed us how to live. He showed us it's possible. Showed us what the kingdom's like and then he empowered us to do so. But before he did that, he took our place. Remember that wrath cup? He moved you and he stood in your place so you never have to. You'll never have to experience hell. You'll, you'll have a peace that transcends understanding. That's, that means you're going to have peace when it doesn't make sense. You're going to have joy when it doesn't make sense. So how do you get that? Well, Jesus died on the cross. Terrible death. Took your place. Even the spiritual that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on the son. He died. And on the third day, he raised from the dead. Todd, that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm, it is. So is the fact you're on a rock flying around space around a, a big ball of fire, gas. Ha ha, I pay attention to science. Point is, you believe that. And because he knows, remember he knows your darkest sin, he knows all those things, he doesn't need to wait until you're cleaned up because he already paid that. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, you believe in him, he was raised from the dead. You say you are who you say you are. I turn away from the way I've been living my life. That's what repentance is. It's like, I, I'm not my way. I'm not God. You are. If we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved permanently. But you got to make that declaration. You got to be able to walk 15 feet and pray with someone. You got to be able to get on your knees. You got to be able to turn away from yourself. How's life worked out doing it your way? Take this time, make it count. Maybe it meant nothing to you, but it meant something to me. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.